Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. End as a robot by Richard Marston, who's really actually Evan uh, Evan Hunter. Except that's not really who he is. He's also Ed McBain. Mm, that's not really who he is. He's also Salvatore Albert Lombino. I, I think he later changed his name, his legal name, to his most common name for cashing checks for sales, which was Evan Evan Hunter. Um, but I I knew him mostly as Ed McBain. When not that I knew him, but as a reader. I read a bunch of his 87th Precinct books, and there's a terrific short story of his, a um, little too long for us, unfortunately. It's called The Last Spin, uh, which is about two gangs uh, getting into a beef and how they solve it. Um, this is pretty early for his career, and it's surprising because it is quasi-science fiction, or I guess it's science fiction. Um He's not known for that. He's well known for being a uh, a crime writer. And uh, here he combines them both. It's a murder mystery, uh, a crime story set in the future with lots of robots, and it's also an extremely funny parody. 1954. All right. Shall we do it? Yeah, let's do it. The story you are about to read is true. Only the names of robots have been changed to protect innocent household appliances. My name is Sneedley, Robicide Division. My partner's name is Sneedley. My partner is my brother. We were sitting around smoking king-size cigarettes when the phone rang. It was Sneedley, my cousin on the desk outside. Mike, he said. Yeah, give it to me. Don't spare me. Pancho Romulo, he said. Speak English, I told him. We got a 2-1-1 from WIC on the TT. Fish had to carry away with a grifter, and we put a hang-on citation and dumped the dip in the high-power tank. So I got out an APB and contacted AID, but I thought it was just a 4172 LAMC. I see, I said. Go on. Well, it wasn't. The 510 mama sheet told me it was a robot. Name, Pancho Romulo. What about him? He dayed, Mike. I looked over to my partner. Dead robot, I said. 20th and Main. Over the phone, my cousin said, Gee, Mike, how'd you know? That he was dead? Simple, I said. You told me. We checked out an RMP car at 2201 by my watch. My brother's watch read 2202. The clock on the station wall read 2203 and a half. We checked out an RMP car. We took the fifth level to 17th, dropped down to the third level on 18th, the second level on 19th, the first level on 20th. On 20th and Main, we found the dead robot. He was small as robots go. He looked ratty. He had yellowed brass teeth and stringy hemp and hair. The top of his head had been blown off, and his tubes and wires were scattered all over the sidewalk. My brother's name is Johnny. It's not pretty, Johnny, I said. Robicide never is, he told me. <laughs> I leaned down and checked the ID tag soldered into the skinny robot's chest case. Pancho Romulo, I said, reading off the name. Sounds familiar, Johnny said. Hmm. I read on. Serial number 312-446-6031. Factory, Michigan Aluminum. Good outfit, Johnny said. 
Mm, I read on. Parts, General Electronics. Occupation, robo-scribe. A scribe, Johnny said. A robo-scribe. There's a difference. Sure. This ought to be easy, I said. Yeah, how so? All we got to do is find the killer. About ten minutes later, the boys in the white truck showed. The lab boys had already taken all their photographs, and the rest was just a matter of garbage disposal. I watched them dump the remains of Pancho Romulo onto the movable track, and then the skinny, lifeless robot was moving up, up, and into the bowels of the truck with the rest of the garbage. There was something sad about it all. I wept bitterly. Don't be bitter, Johnny said. All that aluminum, I said. My fists clenched, all those wires and tubes twisted and mangled and out of shape, all because some lousy, rotten, metal-hating rat had to... Now you're talking like Mike Sneedley, Johnny said happily. Let's go, I said. First stop, Michigan Aluminum. We caught the Michigan-bound rocket from Idlewild. We weren't used to the force of acceleration. Both Johnny and I vomited. Later, enjoying chocolate fudge chopped nut sundaes in the employees cafeteria at Michigan Aluminum in Lansing, Michigan, we spoke to the president of the night shift. He was a balding robot in his rusting 30s. He sipped at his petroleum malt and eyed us casually. You think this Pancho Romulo was killed, huh? He asked, his voice metallically precise. We have reason to believe so, I told him. Shame, he said. Pity. We used good aluminum on him. I remember. How come you remember? I remember because we ran out of the middle. I remember because we ran out in the middle. Had to make him shorter than most. In the middle? All over. He was a short robot. Short robots died just the same as tall ones, Johnny said. Ain't it the truth, the president said, nodding his head. Why do you say that? I asked suspiciously. The president smiled. Because they do, don't they? He's right, Mike, Johnny said. Just watch what you say, I told the president. Easy, Mike, Johnny said. Sure, easy, easy. Only that lousy metal-hating rat is still out there somewhere, still roaming the streets. When will he strike next? And who will it be? Easy, yeah, easy. Johnny calmed me down. And we left the night shift president as he dug into a sulfide salad. We were no closer to the killer than we'd been two minutes ago. We staked out Michigan aluminum just in case. The plant ran for more than 3,000 acres, but we put two of our best operatives on the job. We gave them their instructions, and then we headed for General Electronics. The female robot who greeted us in the reception room was tall and loose-hipped. She walked on ball-bearing joints, and her metal skin shone like dull ivory. Her eyes were emeralds, and her teeth were pearls, and her lips were rubies. She had class, all right. You could tell it at a glance. Mr. Schlemmer ain't in, she said, and he ain't expected there ain't nothing he can't do for you that I can't do for you anyhow, she said. What's your name, ma'am? I asked. Eileen, she said. Eileen Alloy. What do you know about Pancho Romulo, Johnny said. Him, huh? What about him? I remember him, she said. The short one always making passes. I remember him all right. He made a pass at you, I asked. He tried to make me, she said. And did he? Johnny asked innocently. Did he make Eileen Alloy? Did he make me? Are you kidding, Buster? Are you kidding me? Or something? She paused. Yes, she said girlishly. He did. (laughs) Am I understanding he worked on the assembly line here, I asked? That's right. He was a passer. 
Poncho was. We needed a short robot who could reach up under the fixed tubular discharger. He filled the bill nicely. When the parts were discharged, he reached up for them and then passed them on to another man who put them into the aluminum bodies. He was always making passes, Poncho was. And he made you by passing the works. Sure. I see, I said. But his ID tag described him as a robo-scribe. If Poncho Romulo was a passer, oh, that was later. Then he became a robo-scribe. He thought he had talent. You should have heard some of the yarns, Poncho told. He was very good at making up things. He left here to become a robo-scribe? That's right. Matter of fact, we fitted him up with his plotting spools and his twister. Of course. Of course, I said. What kind of scribing did he do? Mysteries. We had some old spools, so we stuck them in Poncho's head. I think they figured on humoring him. You know, my God, who'd have thought? Who'd have thought what? Who'd have thought it would work? I mean, those crummy spools and that worn-out twister. I guess people will buy any kind of junk nowadays. I don't buy that, I said, slamming my fist into my open palm. You don't buy what? There's more to this than meets the eye. Don't leave town, Miss Alloy. Me? Why would I want to leave town? He's supposed to say that, Johnny explained. Oh, pleased, I'm sure, Eileen Alloy answered. We left town. Something kept eating at my mind. I took off my hat and asked Johnny to look for a louse or something. Nothing there, he said. No, but there's a louse in this someplace, I said. Like my wife always says, don't drag her into this, I told Johnny. I was just, I said, the time was zero, 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 zero. We put down an idle wild at zero, 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 zero and a quarter. We checked in at zero, 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 five. The skipper was in an uproar. You think the city pays you to for pleasure excursions, he ranted? No, skipper, I said. You think you got nothing to do but run around Michigan? No, skipper, I said. I want results, he shouted. Fourteen carat results, not petty fogging and not gold bricking, but results. Plain old ordinary results. That's what you get paid for, isn't it? Yes, skipper. Damn right it is. You think it's nice robots lying around with their tubes exposed? How do you like to lie around with all your tubes exposed? I wouldn't, Skipper. No, and neither would I. So get me results. Put all the men you need on this case. Take O'Shea Cradneri from Ballistics and Utterly Clock from the Moor. Get Zach Mazanov if you need him and even Hubert Stradeline. Get me results. We'll do it alone, Skipper, I said tightly. All right, smart boy. All right, big shot city detective. Just remember, this isn't a 211 and it isn't a 311, nor is it a 484 PS. This is a robo side big shot detective. And if you don't crack this case, you'll be back pounding a beat in Brooklyn. Yes, damn it. I said Brooklyn. Easy, Mike, Johnny said. I cringed out of the office. We got our first steer from a vag in night court. The steer was a big black one with malicious looking horns. What's this all about, I asked. Poncho's house pet, the vag said. So, look at the hide. I stepped around the horns, and the steer eyed me maliciously. I looked at the hide. There were two footprints on it. What's it all mean, I asked. Somebody's cut out a pair of soles from the poor beast's hide, the vag said. Somebody needed shoes desperately. Who, I asked. That's easy, the vag said. A big shot detective like you should be able to figure it out. All right, I said, if you want to play it tough, we play it tough. You know, you've been pushing. We know you've been pushing Corridan, Vag. We know it because we spotted you with six bundles of the junk. We also had you staked out when you received those 18 syringes. And don't think we aren't aware. 
And don't think we ain't aware of the white slavery you've been indulging in. Only reason we haven't pulled you in before this vag is because you're my father. Now, are you going to explain all this, or do you want me to forget that blood is thicker than bourbon? Easy, Mike, the vag said. Easy, sure, easy. What do these footprints mean? Simple. They're a size nine and a half double E. Only one robot in town wears a nine and a half double E. Who's that? Pancho Romulo. Those are mighty big shoes for such a little man, Johnny said. Maybe he was trying to fill them, the vag said. I figure the hide was taken from this steer a few years ago. That was before Romulo's stuff began to click. The steer made a noise. Shut up, you, I snarled. We got plenty on you, too, if you want to play it rough. The steer lowered his head. Like a certain cow in Jersey, if you want to get specific, I sneered. Don't fool with us, mister. The steer didn't answer. Come on, I told Johnny, let's check those goddamn shoes. The robot who answered the door at Pancho Romulo's downtown apartment was a big one. He had sapphire eyes and a diamond smile on his face. He let us in and I said, excuse me, and bent down to inspect his ID tag. You're a robo-scribe, I asked him. Yes, he said. What's your name, sir? Schnarr Trapper, he said. All right, Schnarr, what are you doing here? I work here. Doing what? Answering doors and things. I thought you were a robo-scribe. I am. All right, Schnarr, I said. If you want to play it rough, I'm at liberty, Schnarr said. That's all. Between assignments, so to speak, Pancho was good enough to take me in, answering doors and things. That's better, I said. What things do you answer? Telephones, fan letters. Oh, Pancho gets a lot of fan mail. Got, you mean. I said, got? Got. He dayed. Schnarr Trapper looked at me in astonishment. Dead? Pancho dead? Dead, did you say? You didn't know about it. No, good Lord, no. Pancho dead. Oh, good Lord. What size shoes do you wear? I asked suddenly. Ten and a half B. Why? Routine. Oh, dead. Poor Pancho dead. How did it happen? Somebody bashed his head in. Poor Pancho. Poor, poor Pancho. Dead and gone. Dead and gone. Both, I said. What kind of scribing do you do? Mystery stuff. Uh-huh. Yes. Hmm. You like this Pancho Romulo? Johnny asked. Liked him? Gad, I loved him, Schnarr said. My idol, my hero, the scribe I wanted most to be like. With Pancho gone, it'll be a sad world for the tech fans. What kind of fans? The fans. You've never been to Venus? No, never. There's a bird there, the Snorer Tech. Beautiful plumage. Pancho had fans made from the plumage. Tech fans. He ordered a lot of them when he was alive. <clears throat> I see. Why did you ask me about shoes? Does 10.5B have anything to do with Pancho's killer? That's about the size of it, I said. We got a steer a little while back. Two shoe soles cut from the steer's hide. That was a bum steer, Schnarr said. Pancho picked up reading the Hobo News a long time ago. Who cut those shoe stole? Who cut those shoe soles from the steer's hide? That's what I'd like to know. Why Pancho did? Schnarr told me. Why he was down and out, holes in his soles, heels peeling, laces to face, stitches missing. He cut himself a new pair of soles from the bum steer. That was before Pancho became a big shot city detective writer. How? How did he get where he was? They gave him lousy plotting spools and a worn-out twister. How come he rose to such heights? Schnarr Trapper looked at me levelly. I don't know, he said. We'll find out, Schnarr, I answered. Don't leave town. 
We cooked up an SOB on the IRT the next day. AID checked him out, figured him for an MWA, and dumped him into the CAN. The time was 1341.78642. Johnny and I went down to the scrap heap. The aluminum cases of robots gleamed in the midday sun, empty and barren, lifeless. Makes you choke up, I said to Johnny. Johnny said. A woman was there looking over the dead robot, searching among the rubble. We looked around until we found the remains of Pancho Romulo, and then we went over them carefully. Legs in fine order, I said. Haven't seen better in a long time, Johnny agreed. Nice chest. Mm, Johnny murmured appreciatively. Short, true, I said, but they don't make chassis like that anymore. You said it, Mike, Johnny said enthusiastically. Built for endurance, I said. Yeah, Johnny sighed wistfully. She's leaving, Mike, he said. Who's leaving? The girl, the one rummaging around out there. Man, he said. Look at this robot, I shouted. Pay some attention here. Easy, Mike. I Sure, easy, easy. Look at his head. All the tubes are gone, shattered, destroyed, and plotting spools and twister, stolen. Who'd want to steal? Who indeed? Who'd want to steal old spools and a bad twister unless, unless what, Mike? You're a big shot city detective's partner, I said bitterly. You tell me, but that's the first sensible thing you've said for the last 12 pages. Let me have one. Let you have what, Mike? A king-sized cigarette, you damn fool. Johnny butted me. Then we staked out the suspect's home and later had a stakeout on Long Island in a place where truck drivers stop. We got the RBI on the car radio on the way back to the city. They'll take it next year, Johnny said. Maybe, I told him. I was thinking something was gnawing at my mind. I let it gnaw. Something gnawing at you, Johnny asked. No, I told him. I continued driving. (laughs) The radio told us about a heel and toe on the fourth level and a punch job at 60th and Broad. After that, we got the hit parade. Music all the time, music, Johnny complained. You're just a jazz fiend, that's all. Doom, da-doom, doom. I hummed. It was all crystal clear now, clear as a bell. I had my man, and all we had to do was wrap it up. After we passed our way through the stakeout men, we went up to the apartment. I knocked on the door. Who's there? The voice called. Police officers, open up. Come and get me, copper. I kicked the door open, and then I kicked Johnny into the apartment. Careful, Johnny yelled. He's got a heater. The heater blistered three feet of paint from the door jam. I fired twice from the hip with my 32 S&W nickel-plated walnut stock, raised sight, twin-notched, rapid-firing disintegrator. I missed. I made a flying leap across the room, and he came down in a tumble of metal, clattering like a thousand drunken pots and pans. All right, I said, want to tell us all about it? No, Schnarr Trapper said. I scratched my head. What do we do now, Johnny? He doesn't want to tell us all about it? That's what he said, I told Johnny. Hmm, that makes it a little tougher. We'll just have to sweat it out of him, I said. Schnorr Trapper sneered. Robots don't sweat, he answered. We put him under the can openers at HQ, and it was just a matter of time before he spilled the beans. (laughs) It was a simple case. Pancho Romulo had stolen Schnorr Trapper's superior spools and twister. He then hired Trapper as a manservant while he himself rose to fame and glory as a mystery writer. Trapper bided his time, waiting for the chance to steal back the superior plotting spools and twister that rightfully belonged to him. 
he finally found the opportunity. He discovered that once you bash in a robot's head, all the spools and the twister were exposed. He had seized his opportunity and also the pool spools and twister. The case was closed. Schnarr Trapper was tried in Superior Court, County of Cork, State of the Union, on December 25th, 2937. He was found guilty of stealing his own spools and twisters, Section 31A of Penal Code 17B, a crime punishable by demolition. He was utterly demolished. Detective Sergeant Michael Sneedley, for outstanding work in breaking the case, received a gold star in his merit column and was elevated to the position of high-priced radio and television performer. Crime sometimes pays in the end. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I had to restrain myself a few times. Um, oh, by the yeah. way, you uh, you caught something I didn't, and I think that's hilarious. Um the uh when you did the humming of the jazz on the radio dum da dum dum <laughs> i didn't catch that the first time i read it uh that's hilarious um so listen i'm old enough to have to have listened and to and watched the show that this thing is parodying yeah yeah but you better you better say what it is is going on because <laughs> right. I think some people out are listening to us don't know what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so back in the in 1949, uh, a guy named Jack Webb, who was an actor, um, started a radio series called Dragnet, and it was incredibly successful. Um, it was transformed as many popular radio shows were transformed into television shows. Um, the first series ran from 1951 to 59. Um, then there was like a revival with the same actor in the 60s, ran until 1970. And then uh, the first I heard of it, other than probably like in parodies of it, which it's very iconic, um, was uh, there was a movie uh, in the 80s with Tom Hanks and uh, Dan Aykroyd that was also a parody or a comedic version of Dragnet. And uh, it's it has these it, it it's like super iconic. It's like you know, for Star Trek, uh, the phrase that everybody knows that is not actually in the series is "Beam me up, Scotty." Right? The phrase for uh, Dragnet was "Just the facts, ma'am." Again, nobody ever said that, but they say things just like it or almost exactly like. We just need the facts, ma'am. <laughs> and so, it, and, then, it, and and nothing but the facts. Right, right. So this is uh, a very at the height of the popularity of Dragnet, uh, a parody of it set in a robot future, uh, and it takes every every opportunity to make puns and plot points ridiculous. Like it's a bum steer. What a stupid. <laughs> What a stupid twist. Who's who's reading the hobo news, yeah. which is something people who are actually hobos, another yeah. word for bums sometimes, mm -hmm. um, they try to make money by selling these free newspapers. Mm -hmm. And you could either buy them from them or just give them the money and make believe you were buying them from yeah. them. It was so hobo news, bum steer. I mean, mm -hmm. bum meaning lame, I mean, you know, everywhere in this story, everywhere. At every opportunity, he makes – he makes it a joke, and yet um, it also is a It's a murder mystery, and at one point in the story, I did the thing that you're supposed to do uh, when you're enjoying an episode of Dragnet, which is guess who the murderer is. 
<laughs> and I guess right. I, I, I'm like, I told my student um, uh, when they're talking about <laughs> the, the, it was so stupid, this, this twist. Uh, there's a bird there, the uh, snor, tech, beautiful plumage. Pancho had fans made from the plumage. Tech fans. Oh, my God. We thought it was supposed to be detective, right, fans. Like sci-fi fans is short for science fiction fans. No, it's he made fans. <laughs> so I make this joke right. about my, uh, you know, how, how many people listen to my podcasts. I have three or four fans blowing on me right now. <laughs> Because it's a hot summer, <laughs> it's just stupid, right? Stupid little puns, and he, but he's nailed it. This is actually ex- everything about this story is very much a dragnet, right? They they're overly dramatic about the death of these guys, and yet it's also science fiction in that. Uh, why would you kill a robot to sh- shoot its brains open, steal its chips, and and or in this case, valves and uh, wires? And plant him in your own head so that you can take his job. So it, it works perfectly as a piece of science fiction, but it's also a detective mystery like Dragnet. Valve, by the way, is a, is an older word for what we would call vacuum tubes. Right, right. I just want people to know. Yeah, uh, there are loads of things. I mean, for me, this is a breeze because, you know, I, I grew up with this stuff. Um, for instance, we caught the Michigan-bound rocket from Idlewild. Right, right. Well, I, you know, I remember when that airport was called Idlewild, but then after Kennedy's assassination, it was renamed. Mm-hmm. It's now JFK International Airport. I mean, I, I know all of these. I grew up in Brooklyn. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, so Not Brooklyn. About, I mean, all, Don't send me yes, to Brooklyn. Exactly. <laughs> And there were all those jokes about, well, who would go to Brooklyn? Yeah. But it's some that you might not get. You know, they got the RBI on the yeah, radio yeah, as they were yeah. coming in. Right? So they had been in Queens, right, right, which is where JFK is or Idlewild, and they were going back to Manhattan. So they were going by Brooklyn, right? But in doing so, they got the RBI, and they said, well, there's next year. <laughs> which is what they always said about the Brooklyn Dodgers until they finally won the World Series later in that decade. The Dodgers were perennially losing, and the Dodger fans were famous for saying, well, we'll get them next year. It's always next year. So there, there are all but kinds that, but that of that jokes lo- going on. Yeah, that RBI is you, – you, because of the context, you think, oh, it's like APB, All Points Bulletin. Our, we thought we got right. the R, but it turns out no, it's runs batted in. <laughs> exactly, and you know, you know, and, and contacted AID. Well, it should have been IAD, the yeah. Internal Affairs Division, yeah. but it's AID. I mean, there, there's so much going on in here that's just so terrific. Pancho Romulo, he said, speak English, I told him. And then what follows is this enormous, you know, we got a 211 from WIC yeah. on the TT. I mean, and you can't understand a blasted thing about no. that. That's English, but English isn't English. But the name that can't be understood, it's just a name. Yeah. This this story is about language. Yes. And it's about that crazy clipped language yes. that Jack Webb used as Joe Friday. Yeah. Uh, all right. But the thing is that Jack Webb created that show. Yes. Right. And he was the producer of the show on TV. He was not just the star and the creator, but the producer. In other words, this wildly popular thing made him an enormous amount of money. He is Pancho Romulo. <laughs> He's making, well, uh, in a sense, uh, Evan Hunter is making fun of 
this whole like just the seriousness with which they take the death of this robot <laughs> it's like yes it's, but but i think there's there's something in addition to that the fact is at the end of every episode you know we jack jack webb would tell us which section of the penal code had been uh, violated and what the and what the punishment had been and then he would say crime does not pay but what what evan hunter is pointing out is for Jack Webb, crime really paid. <laughs> yeah. Right? And it pays for Ed McBain, too. Mm-hmm. So that is Evan Hunter in his detective writer, most frequent uh, pseudonym. So then it ends with crime sometimes pays in the end. Dum, dum, dum. Yeah, it's right? so meta. Like uh, th- that the end at the end is, is actually the end of the story, but also like the font shows it to be the end like you would see at the end of a movie or a little children's book exactly um the exactly. The, the, the the there's meta stuff throughout so on page 51 that first sen- that's the first sensible thing you've said for for the last 12 pages <laughs> like right <laughs> to his brother who's uh, who's his partner and his cousin like like the 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 future that's set up in this story is so ridiculous um, we we start speculating uh, like we normally would in a science fiction story. Like, why is this? And why is the title "End as a Robot"? I I was I was thinking, oh, they're all robots. No, <laughs> no, no, they are. No, that well, are. I mean, when when they go to the uh, they they get off the rocket after they vomit, um, they're eating chopped nuts uh, ice cream, and uh, the robots having like a sulfide salad. <laughs> well, so the, the robot is having something different, but when the skipper says to them, "Would you like to have your tubes?" He says, "No, yeah, I wouldn't." Yeah. And the skipper yeah. says, "Neither would I." Right? There's no. And why are there so many Sneedleys? Because Sneedleys are obviously the name of the robot model that's used for the it, police department. It, it, it and it, I think it fits to the idea that uh, the Jack Webb character, that you know, and I noticed this when I I watched Dragnet the movie. Um, I was like these. These are very like the Tom Hanks was like a normal person, uh, but the Dan Aykroyd character who was playing the Jack Webb character, he's he's ro- robotic. Like he has like uh, robotic feelings, and, and and he really is. Yeah, and and so in this case, like in the illustration, you've got uh, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Like they have hair, right, and then their their teeth rust. <laughs> <laughs> right, and he's, right. He's in his rusting thirties. Right, in his so rusting thirties. Obviously, 30s. so so at a, at a philosophical level, this story is sort of asking us what what does it mean to be human? Mm-hmm. I mean, after all, the, the, uh, Eileen Alloy uh, says, well, you know, refers to man. Uh, the skipper says, "Take as many men as you want." Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the word man and robot are interchangeable in this world. Um, did she? Did he make passes? You know, he made me, <laughs> right? It's all these passes. This is not, however, just a parody of Dragnet, although it's a spot-on parody of Dragnet. Yeah. When we see that robot girl, that you know, Eileen Alloy, mm-hmm. and we, all, you know, she was on ball-bearing hips. And right. so, this is this is a parody of the much wider, more w- w- widely used. Uh, style of the hard-boiled detective. Mm-hmm. Uh, people like Ross McDonald, you know, all sorts of people. Mm-hmm. And so, 
in fact, crime pays for them too, yep. right? The whole detective genre is based on the idea that we readers like to look at this stuff. Crime pays because it's attractive, right? And this is just a comment about what it means to try to make money out of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, therefore, comments on the nature of language. You know, she had, you know, different jewels, and you could see it right away at a glance. Mm-hmm. Well, those aren't metaphors in her no. case. No, Eileen, Her ruby lips, you know, right? Yeah. It's, uh, are in- actual rubies. Yeah. <laughs> right. So if we're taking the metaphoric and making it real, and we've already had the real and made it metaphoric, this story is suggesting that via language itself, we create a world that we want. Mm-hmm. We don't want crime, but we want crime as an object of observation. Mm-hmm. We want, in the case of Dragnet, to see that hidden guilt will be revealed and all will be set well in the world, as usually happens mm-hmm. in most detective stories. Mm-hmm. So these are basically really funny fairy tales for, for grown-ups. Mm-hmm. You know, a little hint of sex, a little hint of the future, and next thing you know, um, you're getting your butt, just the one you want, a king-size cigarette. <laughs> yeah. I- Jack Webb clearly carried this for for years oh, and years and years. Decades. But but what Ed McBain found at the very beginning is with a a template like this, there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio.